0: and you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film
1: Daily for Friday, January 29th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about WandaVision. Episode four, we interrupt this program. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter soretta and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Omen. Hey, that's me. And special guest from the MCU fan show, we have Sean Gerber. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Peter and Brad, for having me. Uh, you know, on the Mandalorian podcast, we have Brian Young, who I like to say is like the one of the smartest people uh, I know uh, in like the Star Wars universe. Like, he knows more about Star Wars than anybody else that I know, uh, and I feel like the counterpart to him in the marvel universe is you so I'm, I'm happy to have you on here because i originally tried to get you on for the first couple episodes uh you you were too busy for us but uh you know what this is a good episode to have you on for
2: i think yeah i'm really excited that it worked out for this week because i figured as we get closer we're not quite there yet we're episode four of nine <laughs> but as we're getting closer to the midpoint of the season this is certainly when we expect the larger turning points. So I'm really excited to be a part of this one, and it was definitely a good one to talk about. So I'm very happy to be here.
1: Yeah. With all these episodes, we have the four segments. We'll go into feedback from last week's episode. We'll have a brief, brief reaction, and then we'll we'll follow that up with like a scene by scene breakdown and into our speculation. So let's start things off with uh, things we have kind of learned uh, since uh, we last recorded last week. Um, someone uh, on Twitter pointed out to us that the Doctor. Who's actually named Dr. Nielsen? That's not something we brought up on this podcast. I know, Sean. I think you brought that up on your podcast. You are also doing like one division breakdowns on the uh, yes. CU fan show. Um, so Nielsen is the you know the the ratings they, they 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 track how many people are watching episodes on television or they were. I don't know. I feel like now with streaming, it's it's very hard to track that stuff. But uh, yeah, so uh, I, I think that name is not uh, coincidental. And uh, someone pointed out on Twitter that the doctor was headed to Bermuda, which yes. is known to have a triangle that people have been trapped into and mm-hmm. have disappeared in. Brad, any thoughts on that? Is is, is that a w- was that there for a reason?
3: Yeah, I'm sure it's a, a fun little reference to what, what's happening. I mean, I, as we've as we've learned, uh, you know, in these first three episodes and uh, especially with things that happened in uh, the fourth episode i don't think there's much of anything in here that is a coincidence this this is all every, every even the smallest details seem to be meticulously planned and like at least subtly referencing something
1: sean <laughs> i i feel like on this podcast we have been like we've been like full lost mode We're we're, we're like analyzing things in the background and stuff like that and like sometimes i feel like in the first couple episodes I, I felt like we might be over analyzing things and reading into things like we're looking at you know uh, what's her name Agnes yes yeah her name and how it's spelt out and maybe that's like another Marvel character which we'll get into later I'm sure uh, you know we, we were making all these connections like hexagons like should we be looking into this and I feel like that finally this episode like feels like a vindication of sorts because I, at, at one point i felt fo- I, I was worrying that we were becoming like the conspiracy theory people that were like looking too far into things <laughs> like yeah. did you feel that at all when you you were recapping these episodes on your podcast <laughs>
2: Absolutely. I mean, I was certainly worried that um, in doing these recaps and thinking I'm just being way too granular about this and thinking that every single thing that's in the frame or spoken or looked at and and just everything is a clue for something. And obviously, it's not going to turn out that everything will have meant something significant over the course of the show. But until this week, it was really hard to narrow our focus. So you have to take all of it as we're just desperately trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. And I mean, we'll get into it when we talk about the episode in detail, but even with something they've given us to try and narrow our focus, I still don't know if that's enough for me to cancel out all these other theories that we've been thinking about for the past few weeks.
1: (laughs) I think it cancels out maybe a couple of them. I don't know. Well, actually, you had a lot more theories on your podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, One thing I wanted to mention is last week, we mentioned that they produced some prop, Replicas of the rings that Wanda and Vision had at the end of episode two, and this week they announced a replica of the Strucker um, watch that yep. was in the the commercial. Of what episode three?
2: Uh, no, episode two. 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 Episode two.
1: Yeah. So they're 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 I don't know. They seem like to, to be way ahead of like the Gravy Train. Like it, it feels yeah. feel like Mandalorian. They they didn't know what was coming, and this time they do.
2: Well, it also feels kind of like season two of Mandalorian, though, because they had it all prepped. Like they had their Mando Mondays series, you know, so and obviously they had, I think, greater partnership ahead of time with all of their licensees on this stuff for Mando and then now for WandaVision, because they've done that. They've taken Mando Mondays and now they have Marvel must haves for Mondays. And it's going to be like (laughs) this from now on with Disney Plus from WandaVision through Falcon Winter Soldier. And I'm sure when the Star Wars series come back, it's going to be that, too. Wow.
1: Okay, Um, we got a lot of emails in the past week, but to be honest with you, a lot of them have theories that either pan out or don't pan out in this episode, <laughs> so they're probably not worth reading. So I, I apologize to all the people who wrote in, but if you want to write in after seeing this episode with stuff we missed or theories or, you know, things, you know, just anything you have for us peter at slash one.com is the email to do that too uh james from colorado springs wrote in he wanted to alert us uh that wandavision kind of echoes a very famous 1961 episode of the twilight zone it's twilight zone episode 73 it's a good life uh i'm not sure if you guys have seen this but uh i'm gonna read from from what james wrote here uh this brilliant piece of slow burn horror has a plot that potentially mirrors what is happening one division a boy with apparently godlike powers has pulled his hometown peaksville ohio into an isolated reality trapping its inhabitants in a universe at the mercy of his whims while trying to make a nice world for himself and others he commonly maims kills others and causes disasters through his interventions in his pocket reality because of this the town folks Prisoners and playthings in Anthony's scenarios, respond to every situation with feigned happiness, describing every situation as good to avoid his anger, or the risk that he will cause even worse situation if he tries to fix his mistakes. Uh in Wandavision, this could explain the reactions of some of the other inhabitants of Wandavision's Westview, uh, trapped in this isolated town by a grief-stricken Wanda's reality warping powers. I think this is dead on, right? Do you, do you think Yeah,
2: sounds like the show I'm watching?
3: Yeah, it's definitely very similar. Also, also, it's worth mentioning that It's a Good Life was also remade for Twilight Zone, the movie.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I got to go revisit that, that movie. I haven't seen that in many years. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention is it seems like Disney. It seems to me, at least, that Disney has been kind of unconfident in the response to these first few episodes it, like they're having they like with Mandalorian I feel like we got nothing right like they they're mm-hmm. not showing us previews they're not uh giving us interviews with people but every week like they are offered like a new interview with the cast members and like this week like we got clips like that kind of like were a reveal of Look, this isn't just going to be the sitcom. If you guys are worried about this being a sitcom and you're a Marvel fan, this is going to get more Marvel. Keep keep on to this. Like, I love the show. I'm not saying anything bad about the show. I feel like uh, all three of us are in the bag here for for, for this. Absolutely. Like, we're we're people that are supposed to to love this, but I also understand that there's probably people that are teenagers, twenties, you know, maybe even early thirties that haven't watched old sitcoms and you know didn't watch Nick and Night like I did, and are probably like what is going on here like do you guys feel the same way that i do that like it seems like disney was kind of worried that they might be losing marvel fans with the first yeah. few episodes
2: the clip and the sizzle reel that they put out thursday morning it played a little desperate to me it did i, I and i'm usually on board with i think disney's very smart about the marketing that they do and Kevin Feige is always gushing about how wonderful of a job Disney does marketing all of Marvel Studios stuff, but it did play like they're a little worried that people aren't on board with the sitcom idea and, and maybe you're worried that that's all that it is. But I also felt like it was redundant because the end of episode three shows you very clearly. I mean, the end of episode one pulls back and shows who, you know, well, I I don't know if we're talking spoilers yet from the episode, but um, it it pulls back and it does show like that somebody else is watching something here that there's a world outside of this and episode three makes that very very clear. So I I don't know why they felt the need to show as much as they did, and and maybe I'm just assuming too much, and maybe this was the plan all along that they've already they have their spots and what they're going to market and show when that it's all been laid out well in advance and they're not reacting to any of the reaction online, which is still. Mostly positive from what I've seen uh, with respect to WandaVision. Um, But as a viewer who was already locked in, ready to watch the show at midnight Pacific time Thursday night, uh, I could have done without that spot, especially a couple of the visuals in it, like the big board with, you know, IDing the different people in the town could have done without that. But yeah, I was a little (laughs) confused as to why they were showing so much and, and not being not playing things closer to the vest.
3: Yeah, I've I've seen like complaints from people and it's usually just the more casual viewers who are like they're probably not paying uh, like tons of attention to the marketing uh and like they're just waiting to see what happens and they like want to avoid everything at all costs and I think that like they're watching the show and they're w- w- like worried like wow this is all it is like this is supposed to be a marvel show and like uh, people are saying that they were bored and you know, I think a lot of this also comes from people who aren't super familiar with like classic television and don't understand what they're trying to do by opening the show like this and realize that those the thi- the things in in these first few episodes make what's happening now that much more impactful and eerie um and suspenseful and mysterious you know and so the complaints are unwarranted. I it the the marketing definitely feels reactionary, but you know at the same time, Marvel does know what they're doing, so maybe they assumed that this was how they were going to play it out the entire time. But right. hopefully, hopefully, people stop griping about it because now they're getting the <laughs> Mar- Marvel side of what they really want. So yeah,
1: I wonder if there's going to be like this kind of like uh, Last Jedi kind of reaction to this, where there's people that kind of like the sitcom aspect of the show and now that it's going full on marvel if they're gonna like be like i liked it the way it was and now the you know the people that are like didn't like the sitcom and now like that it's you know full on mcu or like i i wonder if there's gonna be a clash of ideals
2: there but i certainly hope not like this is what we've been told was coming the entire time i know We we have been told that this was a mashup of classic sitcom and mcu epic and even Paul Bettany, bless his heart, has been trying to tell us like the pacing of how this is going to go. We're going to start in sitcom land and we're going to transition out of that. But there's still plenty of sitcom left in this show. We know that we still have to go to the 80s, the 90s and the 2000s. There's plenty of sitcom clips from trailers and TV spots that we haven't seen yet. So there's plenty more where the first three episodes came from. OK, we'll get into that later. Let's get into our brief thoughts. I'll give you my quick brief
1: thoughts and I'll go to Sean and then Brad. Uh, But I, you know, this does feel more like a Marvel movie. (laughs) It albeit maybe uh, the zanier supporting character storyline of a Marvel movie, which some people might not like, but (laughs) it does feel very much more Marvel. And uh, that's not meant, I guess that is a backhanded uh, compliment of sorts, but uh, it's funny how the characters in the show are asking all the questions that we've been asking for the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. And I love, I love movies and TV shows that show events from multiple point of views, and this this does that. And I, I didn't, I honestly didn't expect them to break the formula completely this early on, so that was kind of surprising to me. Uh, this is definitely the most cinematic episode. It felt like a Marvel movie. It, it I know I complained a lot about the short length of the episodes of the first season of the Mandalorian and the first few episodes of this season worked for me. I guess this is my one complaint. It worked for me because they were half-hour sitcoms. And this episode because it was more cinematic and it was more Marvel, it did feel a little short to me being like 30 minutes, but at I don't know. At the same time I I feel like those of us who have been analyzing the episodes probably didn't end up learning much from this episode it was just kind of like a vindication episode like it vindicated all the stuff that we were thinking uh sean what what did you think about this
2: episode it's no surprise to anybody i love the episode it is the mcu in all the best ways it's no backhanded compliment from me i i love the way <laughs> that this episode looked i love the way that it felt um and that's not like i needed this uh reprieve from sitcom land because i love that too Uh, I think they did a really great job. And and this is actually usually the thing I hate in TV shows is when they break formula and you get the episode that seems to have nothing to do with the rest of the show or the main characters that you've been following. That usually doesn't work for me. Um, In this case, it did because they found ways to make it interesting and tie this into the bigger picture of the MCU in some really fascinating ways. Um, So I loved it. And then as far as the length of the episode, when it ended, I definitely had that reaction of, Oh, no way. Like, you got to be kidding me that this one is already over. But I don't know if that's because the episode really should have been longer or I just wanted it to be because I was enjoying it so much. Brad, what are your brief thoughts?
3: Yeah, I, I absolutely love this episode. It's I even appreciate, you know, that uh, they went back to essentially before, you know, the the version of WandaVision that they would end up watching began so that we could see exactly you know, where this all started and get acquainted with, uh, you know, the, the timeline and, and all that sort of thing. And I was also impressed by how good it looks, even, you know, despite being a, uh, you know, a TV show we saw, we've seen, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, looked like a network TV show that was trying to be set in the Marvel universe, but they didn't have the money to really bring it, you know, full tilt. And here the show looks expensive and it like, it doesn't feel like they cut any corners by, by any means. Yet it, it feels right in line with Marvel's work um, you know, arguments can be made for, you know, that there, there's a little bit of like veering into Marvel style that feels like it adheres to a, a formula that it lacks a certain, I don't know, uh, uh, auteur style, you know, um, just because Marvel has has a very specific look for most of their movies, even when they bring in directors with specific styles. But this just I think the show itself is so stylish overall that. You know that that's not really a problem for me, and if anything, it creates a a proper delineation between the 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 sitcom faux reality that uh, is happening on the show that is WandaVision and you know the real you know Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: Okay, let's get into the breakdown. Let's just dive into it because we have a lot to talk about this week. Um, The title of this episode is "We Interrupt This Program," which is perfect. Uh, Yeah, it's perfect. It actually makes me wonder if the next episode is going to be, uh, you know, back to the, the regularly yeah, scheduled exactly. broadcast or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, the opening takes place at the end of the blip. So how awesome was this whole sequence that open, like the, the cold open of the show, I guess is what you call it. Uh, what did you guys think?
2: It was unbelievable. I loved it so much. I mean, the way that they did, I mean, the, just speaking to the cinematic quality of it, I mean, the visual effects, the way Monica and everybody else just rematerialized in that scene. Um, No disrespect to agents of shield. I watched every episode, but yeah, the visual, they clearly spent more money on this than any VFX shots like ever in agents of shield, at least more of it showed up on screen. I don't know, but <laughs> it looked great, but it's also what it sold. And it also kind of makes sense because this is the immediate reaction to people coming back from the blip is, It's the chaos of it. It's the terror, the confusion of it, the tragedy of it. Like this story for Monica Rambo that she dozed off while her mother was recovering from surgery, thinking her mother was okay, only to wake up. And it's been five years and her her mom's been gone uh, for three of those years. Um, I think it sells when we talk about just the permanent effects of Endgame and this permanent scar that Thanos left because for anybody who says, well, the Avengers were able to undo it. They can't undo everything. So much of this lasts forever and has, you know, tragic ramifications for so many people, including Monica Rambeau. And so the way they brought all that together, it was staged incredibly well and just a terrific performance by Tiana Paris. Brad, any thoughts on this cold opening?
3: No, this was uh, really cool to see because I, I think that after Spider-Man from home, uh, you know, a lot of us had questions as to even more so how this would affect, you know, just different parts of, of the world on, you know, from a small scale to a global scale, as far as like what, you know, half of the world's population coming back looks like and the kind of chaos that creates. And it, it actually made me like interested, like I would watch an entire miniseries of them doing mm-hmm. episodes of this uh, happening in various locations and the kind of yeah. panic it causes, you know, like I feel like they could um they could do a like a, what would feel like you know a typical network drama about this phenomenon that happened and how it affects just normal people's lives not even superheroes um because it was yeah just crazy to watch unfold everybody coming back and there, i'm sure there's even like hilarious things that would happen from this i mean you have to imagine that maybe at some point in the blip there were probably two people being intimate with each other and they just disappeared and then all of a sudden they reappear in some stranger's bed because they moved into their house
2: <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, and I think so, it sells like the, you know, cause far from home does play it for laughs. Like they show the marching band disappearing. Then they come back and one of them gets hit in the head with a ball and everything. Yeah. And so like, and aunt may, somebody thought that it was like that they was their husband's mistress or whatever. Cause she uh, reappeared like in her old apartment or whatever that was. And what I, it also makes sense though, is cause they clarify later in the episode. I mean, obviously we see right here, this is the immediate aftermath WandaVision is actually taking place before Spider-Man Far From Home. Spider-Man Far From Home is take they say it's eight months since the blip or people came back. So that also makes sense why they're playing it for laughs when tragedy plus time equals comedy. Like people are probably more comfortable joking about it eight months after the fact as opposed to immediately when it's happening when everybody's just focused on the chaos of everything.
3: Yeah. It still it still raises the question to me, what happens to people who are like on planes or boats? Do they send, send <laughs> the send the official
2: explanation of that is uh that it's you know, they call him smart hulk for a reason. So like in the the infinity stones and the mind stone is intuitive enough that it's you know bring people back safely. So don't bring them back in midair. Ah see hey, who, is, who is is why we that said that? Kevin Feige that, said that actually. Kevin
1: Feige? Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I was thinking that like what when she reappeared in that chair, I was like, Oh, good thing that chair was like in the exact same part of that room because yeah, <laughs> it would have been bad if like she just like appeared and then the chair wasn't there and she like right. fell on the floor. Um, no, but I I had the same. I I really wish that there was a way for Marvel, maybe on Disney Plus or something, to explore this idea of the blip more because I think it is very compelling. There's a part of this episode later on where Monica's walking into Sword and you see mm-hmm. on the screens like the celebrations around the world of all these people returning and so i don't know it just makes like that bit of world building to me doesn't feel like um like distant mountain kind of stuff i know uh yeah. drew mcweeney has coined that term just mountains um it's more of like stuff that i would like to explore <laughs> so uh i don't know um okay uh let's start at the beginning of the scene uh it does start on this black screen and i'm not sure if you guys noticed this i had to put the subtitles on to like get this exactly but there's a lot of uh voice clips Mm -hmm. from captain marvel so there's like maria saying no i can't i can't leave monica and then monica is like mom it's okay i can stay grandma like so there's a bunch of clips there captain marvel says uh when they were handing out kids they gave you the toughest one Mm -hmm. and then lieutenant trouble so i guess that's probably all just there to key general audiences, you know, not us, not, not the people that have been picking this apart since uh the beginning of this, that this character is uh the little girl from Captain Marvel?
2: I feel like that's more for us. I don't think the general audience remembers that Carol Danvers mm-hmm. called Monica Rambo Lieutenant Trouble two years ago when they saw Captain Marvel. I mean, unless they've been rewatching and maybe they have been re-watching yeah. Captain Marvel and Disney Plus, but I feel like that's the kind of thing where You know, I I don't know if that immediately signals to the general viewer that this is Monica Rambeau, um, but it becomes fairly clear uh, soon after that.
1: Yeah. And I I do think one thing that is very clear is the way that she reappears like just the special Mm -hmm. effects and all the particles i feel like everybody even general audiences get that like they don't need to be told about the blip or that it was about the snap like they're like oh i know where i am do you know what i mean like it's just like instantly which is kind of cool
2: yeah those particles have that very unique look because you just remember the i remember the audience reactions to the opening of endgame when hawkeye's daughter disappears um when he turns around and you just see those little particles floating away like everybody knows what that means and so to see that same visual consistency of those particles as now they're rematerializing it it was it worked really well
1: okay sean you're in our marvel expert seat today uh we've known this character as geraldine but she is really monica rambo uh Mm -hmm. what backstory should we know about this character from the movies and or comics
2: as far as what you should know, I think what they want you to pay attention to from the movie perspective is that, you know, that conversation is, you know, Monica's sense of adventure and, and wanting to see that in her own mother and in Maria Rambo. But then also what she says at the end, when she's like having the back and forth with Nick Fury, like she can go to space like you don't know. Um, And she has been to space as we find out in this episode. So she's definitely been living out this dream and these goals that she was setting for herself back in 1995 so there's that from the mcu perspective if we're looking at it from the marvel comics background it gets very complicated because she's had like 17 superhero identities it's more like five or six but she's had quite a few including captain marvel she was captain marvel Hmm. in the comic books before carol long before uh, carol danvers was ever captain marvel but she's gone by other superhero identities It looks like Photon has the inside track to be her superhero identity from the comics into the MCU because that was her mom's call sign. And you see that again, Maria Photon Rambo in the picture of Maria Rambo in the lobby of S.W.O.R.D. So it looks like that's the way they're going as opposed to Pulsar or Spectrum. Uh, But they have still given her a captain rank. Uh, She's a captain with S.W.O.R.D. So really, that's the main, I think, thing from the comic books that's worth paying attention to. She does have a superhero background. She's not. An agent of Shield or agent of Sword—that's not really her role in Marvel Comics. She's a bona fide superhero, and I think that's the direction we're going here.
1: Yeah, and so far as we know, her mother didn't have superpowers. As far as we know, and she doesn't right. have superpowers at this moment
2: in time. Uh, depends on what moment we're talking about.
1: <laughs> okay, we'll get there later. Uh, I knew I knew you'd be on that train, Sean. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the the in the chaos of this hospital, like lobby or whatever it is hallway i was kind of thinking like because she bumps into a person it would have been kind of cool if they could have like snuck in an easter egg for a a future film or show of another character that came back from the blip do you know what i mean like it would have yeah. been cool if like that person was actually someone and we realized that in another scene but i think it's probably too uh, much production hassle to make i think happen. it's
2: that and i think it distracts you from the emotion that the scene is trying to achieve, like it, it wants you to feel Monica's loss. And you might miss that if you're thinking, oh, hey, it's that guy.
1: What well, could be a character we don't know yet? True. Is what I'm
2: saying very true. But
1: yeah. Um, OK, so but I guess it would interrupt that character's reappearance yeah. in his story. OK, anyways, uh, Dr. Harley is her mom's doctor. She informs her that her mom died of cancer three years mm-hmm. ago, two years after she got snapped away. Um, so this gives us a timeline. So this is in 2023, but it's further in that in, in that year than Spider-Man. Was Spider-Man in 2023?
2: No, Spider-Man Far From Home presumably would have to be summer of 2024 because it opens at their little in-memoriam oh, school in the video. F- yeah. We throw the news uh, broadcast with Betty Brandt. She says that it's been eight months since the blip. So we've gone through an entire school year in Far From Home This is immediately after and then even where WandaVision picks up when we see Monica at Sword. It's been three weeks since everybody returned. So this is still like August, September ish, 2023, uh, well ahead of Spider-Man Far From Home.
1: It's interesting that we're going to spend a couple of years catching up to where the timeline is in the MCU. We should
2: point out, though, as timelines go. Even with Marvel Studios being involved, Sony Spider-Man movies are suspect as far as where they actually are placed because we'll all remember the eight years later title card from Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and then here we are eight months later. So the number eight doesn't work out well for timelines with these Spider-Man movies. So I don't know if we can fully trust it, but for now, yeah. WandaVision is happening months before Far From Home.
1: And I also will note that it's kind of genius that, I mean, they didn't know what was going to happen in our world, but it's kind of... Mm-hmm. Uh, a genius set of circumstances that they are able to avoid ever addressing people in masks worldwide. (laughs) So uh, they never have to address that in the MCU, I guess. Uh, Okay. This leads us into the MCU opening, which I know Jacob brought up during our first episode, how good it was to hear that hear and see that opening for the first time in a long time. But I feel like it's become the highlight of my week. Whenever that comes on, I'm like, yes, it's time again. Um, it
3: just gets me so jazzed.
1: It's such a great fanfare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we now go to S.W.O.R.D. headquarters. Uh, the campus looks pretty big. Um, uh, yeah. you, you're in the expert seat, Sean. Who is S.W.O.R.D. in the comics? What do we need to know about them?
2: So the name is actually different. Uh, S.W.O.R.D. in the comic books is Sentient World Observation and Response Department. Um In the MCU, they are sentient weapon observation response division. There's no and, and we swap world for weapon and department for division. I don't care about the D part of it. Um, Why did we do that? I don't know. I mean, it sounds like, well, they're creating sentient weapons. That is what acting director Hayward tells us, um, which was not part of S.W.O.R.D.'s purpose when Monica was there, when she disappeared um so uh, why they changed the name i'm not sure but it doesn't really matter to me ultimately it still stands for the same it still results in the acronym sword sword in the comic books is effectively space shield and it is very interesting that we say we have an acting director hayward who i don't even know if he's going to survive this series but uh, that character doesn't really have any strong ties that I'm aware of in the comic books, and I Marvel wikied it, and I couldn't find anything that I missed. So um, I don't know about that character in particular. Who knows? For all I know, director Hayward's a scroll, and that'll come up in Secret Invasion. i really no idea. But, but tell me um, this, Sean. Why is yeah. he
1: acting director, what is it, two or three years after the death of? of maria like shouldn't he now be director like
2: i was also a little bit puzzled by that but maybe it's because nobody likes him and wants to give him the the job (laughs) um it does sound like the program has kind of been winding down like even he talks about it so it it sounds like things just weren't moving at their normal pace uh during this five-year period so maybe that's what it is The Marvel comic fan in me says, well, he's the acting director because the real director of Sword is supposed to be a character named Abigail Brand, um, who would pop up with, you know, her green hair and all. Uh, I I feel like that's a character who maybe pops up at some point. I don't know if maybe if they don't go the superhero route with Monica, she can be the director. But even when Monica and and, uh, Hayward have that conversation about him being chosen to be acting director and Monica not getting to play a part in that. The conversation wasn't that it should be Monica. It's just that she should have been involved in naming her mother's uh, replacement. But anyway, for my overly, as usual, long winded answer to this sort of space shield is what they are. But <laughs> obviously they have terrestrial involvement in, in the MCU because there is no Earth based shield in the MCU anymore.
1: Yeah. OK, let's talk about uh this guy, Tyler Hayward. As you said, he is not a character from the comics. He's played by this actor named Josh Stamberg who when I looked him up, it said uh, the first thing I said, he was born in Washington, D.C. And I honestly feel like you can feel that you can feel Washington, D.C. in his veins. Like he feels like he has appeared in many TV shows as an FBI agent or a cop. And uh, you know why it feels like that? Because he has. Yep, He's appeared in 70 TV shows over the last decade, usually in one or two episodes as an FBI agent or cop. Um, at that point, I'd be like, oh maybe Sean is right. Maybe this is like a guy that's going to be air, in air for like one or two episodes. He's not a major character that said he has had some major roles. He had a, like a long lasting role in the show drop dead diva. He was in like 50 something episodes and he was on uh he had a, a supporting character role in the show parenthood for one season. So it could go either way. Uh, <laughs> uh, but as you mentioned, he's not a character from the comics, but they're, There is a character in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with the last name Hayward named Brian Hayward. Right. And he's a super soldier created by the Centipede Project. Um, There's been a lot of, like, coincidental connections to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the TV show, which I know we've said to death is not connected with the MCU. Kevin Feige wasn't involved it
3: all well, by uh, all accounts well it, it is connected to the mcu but just not in like the way that these new marvel shows are like like kevin feige was not meticulously planning what happened on agents of shield and making it fit in fluidly with the marvel cinematic universe movies they did what they could yeah. to make it happen kind of tangentially to the mo- events of the movies but what yeah, i'm but saying but is like...
2: that only lasted for the first two seasons which actually lines up right to when marvel studios split from the rest of marvel right, Entertainment right. because H- at the... H- for, has like, there been
1: any like references in any of the Marvel movies or TV shows, like the MCU no. movies or TV shows that have referenced any the, of the events of S.H.I.E.L.D.?
2: The only thing that even comes close is in the speech that Vision gives in Captain America's Civil War, when he talks about since, uh, you know, Tony Stark became Iron Man in the eight years, like the amount of, you know, threats has increased exponentially and superpower beings, it's increased exponentially. And there was a huge inhuman outbreak in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but that's never really shown up in yeah. the MCU proper. And so I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where where I place it now, is it's not in like the MCU Prime timeline, but now that we're talking multiverse with the MCU, with a lot of things that are going on, if stuff that's been announced for Marvel Studios, stuff that we know is going on at other studios, it definitely feels like there is this multiverse thing happening and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is part of a timeline that's connected to the MCU, but it's not the main one. Uh, I just don't see that. And even S- with same this, with the
1: Netflix shows, I'm
2: assuming. Yeah, I, I, although I don't know, the Netflix shows may get a pass because who knows uh, if Kevin Feige brings, you know, Charlie Cox in his Daredevil at some point, maybe he will acknowledge that being part of the same timeline. But, but even the Netflix shows never interacted with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The Netflix shows were fairly isolated. So they actually could be brought in and it would be easier to actually bring those shows in than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because there's a lot less that happened, uh, you know, that you would have to try and account for as far as why didn't all this other stuff pop up in the MCU? I mean, you have many, 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 many inhumans in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. who are just never a part of the action in the MCU. So I don't really think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is true. I mean, it started out that way for the first two seasons. But it diverged on its own path for sure. It had its own branched timeline. If we go into endgame logic and all of that stuff, um, but as far as the the centipede project and is that that's very early Agents of Shield, which is when the ties were closer to the MCU proper. But the timeline doesn't really work out because the sentient weapon creation part of it has been happening in the last five years. Uh, those first couple seasons of Agents of Shield are well before infinity war and endgame so i don't really know that that connection is is lining up it feels more coincidental than anything else what about the blue hydra soap from the last episode i don't buy it because there's no connection for wanda these a- commercials are very clearly about well, I- Hydra's connected to wanda hydra is but not the soap and the soap yeah. that everybody's talking about doesn't even take place in a real thing in agents of shield that happens inside this thing called the framework, which is this artificial intelligence reality that was created. And yes, it is an alternate reality thing, but Wanda has no connection to that. And she has no way of knowing that Hydra made soap in a reality that didn't exist. And Colson had to go, had to start making his own. So I don't really think that lines up. That feels more coincidental to me than anything else. The main point of the, of the commercial is Hydra, and if we're tracking, we actually are going in chronological order if we're talking about Wanda's history of trauma. It started, I mean, I don't think it actually started there, but the first story we ever got was a Stark missile, and we get a Stark toaster that takes too long to go off in the very first commercial, in the first episode. And then we go to Strucker, who is Hydra, but it's a much more specific thing as far as him being the one who likely captured Wanda and her brother and was running the experiments on them with Loki scepter, which housed, of course, the mind stone. And then we go and then we expand out in a broader sense that it wasn't just Strucker. It was this larger thing of Hydra being a source of trauma for Wanda. So I think that's what that really is what it is for me. I yeah. don't really think they're trying to, um, you know, all of a sudden uh, throw a bone to agents of shield. Maybe they are They're They're trying to be kind <laughs> to the show after the fact, but none of this reads that way definitively for me yet.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, okay. So we see a plaque on the wall with Monica's mother's face on it, uh, with a photon. And, uh, we see, you know, we, we find out what has happened to the astronauts training program. It's basically been, I guess, abandoned because half the people disappeared and the other half are afraid to go up there. Uh, we see some familiar things in the background. Like we see a Quinjet being worked on. Mm -hmm. It's cool to see this stuff on like, you know, a TV show. Uh, Hayward yep. yeah. Hayward reveals that they have pivoted to unmanned drone missions, robotics, nanotechnology, and AI. He says, sentient weapons, like it says on the door. Mm-hmm. Monica says, observation and response, not creation. Uh, Hayward says, the world is different now, and face is filled with une- unexpected threats. So uh, the thing I wanted to pose to you guys... I'll post this to Brad first because Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe has a long history of evil government officials who show up uh, to do some some bad things. Remember, like Robert Redford's character uh, Pierce, Alexander Pierce. Yeah. Alexander uh, Pierce. Uh, yeah. And I, so, you know, when I see a guy like this, I'm like, oh, maybe he's up to no good. Brad, what do you think? Do you, Do we trust this guy?
3: Uh, you know, it's, it's tough to say, you know, it's one of those things where you would think after S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, was infiltrated by HYDRA and was revealed to be this huge evil government organization that we wouldn't be so quick to trust another one. But as we've also seen in the history of many governments, countries, including our own, uh, people aren't always smart enough to avoid those situations. And so, you know, um, perhaps there's a, you know, the, the hope here that maybe because, things have expanded so much more as far as our knowledge of what's out there beyond earth and in the universe, that this is some, you know, a legitimate organization that's trying to help balance that you you would hope that Nick Fury, um, maybe has some hand in it. Uh, you know, I I do think the conversation about, you know, maybe even scroll involvement is, is potentially interesting and, you know, could bring, you know, some nefarious activity could also just be something that actually helps us in the long run to have, you know, knowledge of of what else is out there. So I, there's nothing that I see so far that makes me distrust him, but you know, comic books have also shown that uh, we're not beyond being fooled by these kinds of organizations.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Sean? I mean, no disrespect to Josh Stamberg. I'm sure he's a quality individual, but he just looks like a guy you can't trust in this show. So, uh, yeah, of course that dude's up to no good. Um. <laughs> I think, you know, you see him throughout the show. He's dismissive of Darcy. He's dismissive of Jimmy Woo. Um, and he's totally wrong when he's dismissive of Jimmy Wu because we lose Agent Franklin, the, also known as the beekeeper. Like we've we it, it seems like this guy is in over his head. And even there's that there's that look that Monica kind of gives him when they have this talk about how awkward it is that he's the acting director. Like we both kind of know you're not qualified, but hey, you were still there after the blip. So why not? Um, but he
1: he could just be an unqualified, stupid person. Eh? It could it, it could be this incompetent.
2: Not he
1: could you be know, um, a bad guy.
2: But I think there's a, a few things to kind of land on. I, I've mentioned obviously there's the possibility that this guy doesn't even survive the end of this series. I, I'm sure he's going to be in more episodes, but if he makes it out of this series alive, uh, and still in this role, it is interesting to see him mention uh, specific things like robotics and nanotech because that. Most recently in Nanotech, we've heard Tony Stark talking about that a lot. That's the last suits that we saw him using in Infinity War and Endgame. And we know that we have this Armor Wars thing coming up, that it's people going after Tony's technology, and Rody's going to be battling against that. So maybe maybe SWORD will ultimately play a role in Armor Wars, and maybe uh, Josh Stamberg's director, Hayward, may come up against Rody at some point, although I think they'll probably find a bigger villain for that at some point. Uh, but that's something worth keeping an eye on, at least for now. Um, but it, it's definitely coming. And to we the also editor. have
1: Secret Invasion yeah. coming up. So exactly.
2: And that's where the we're gonna have to replace,
1: are. Yeah, we're going to yeah. have to replace some of these characters that we know with Skrulls at some point, right?
2: Very true. But here's my my one issue with that in advance with Secret Invasion. I'm very excited about the Nick Fury and Talos team up because I thought Samuel L. Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn were great together in captain marvel and i'm totally happy to watch an entire show with them but i kind of hope that there's not too much secret invasion stuff going on right here with sword right now because what i don't want it to be is a replay of winter soldier where now you have bad scrolls and sword standing in for hydra and shield and just being that same thing all over again with these double agents so I I hope there's something more creative and unique about that, but certainly, you know, Secret Invasion is going to be tied into this somehow.
1: Okay, let's dive back into the episode. Monica has been grounded due to a protocol set up by her mother in case anyone who has disappeared suddenly comes back. Which my my first viewing, I didn't really think about this. I was like, oh, she like thought about like something like the possibility of the snap happening. Mm -hmm. But then on my second viewing, I was like, oh no, she knows scrolls. And she, she put that protocol into action
2: so that if someone mysteriously
1: comes back, they could be a scrawl,
2: right? Maybe, but is this really one of Maria's guidelines, or is that just what acting director Hayward <laughs> told Monica?
1: See, this uh, is the problem with uh, unreliable narrators. Exactly. Well,
3: well, plus, though, I mean, she, she was around, you know, uh, when the blip happened and so i imagine right. that was something they probably had to put into place because like okay all these people are gone here's what has to happen if they come back
2: oh
1: right? yeah that could have been a protocol that was made after okay yeah fair yeah.
2: enough and, that's smart. yeah and he even says you know like the the positive takeaway from this which actually makes me trust him less is because he's telling he gives monica a look on the bright side about being grounded um <laughs> is that it meant that her mom <laughs> believed that she would come back um, there's a few other things that are interesting. Like I, I like that they establish here that Sword has history that predates Infinity War, and so maybe this is indeed the organization because Nick Fury has been clearly working with some go- government or- organization or agency that isn't actually Shield, um, with whoever the hell they're communicating with. I mean, we, we know they're talking to Klein, who's the guy who you know stood up to Rumlow and everybody else in Winter Soldier uh, before they get blipped in the post-credit scene of Avengers: Infinity War, but This organization clearly has been around for some length of time. We're not sure exactly how long. We just know that uh, Maria is the one who supposedly built uh, built the place. I also like how the official term for the people who got blipped is the vanished. And that's something that they've carried forward because that's what they call them in the memorial that Scott visits in San Francisco during Avengers Endgame. So just those little bits that don't really mean anything story wise, but that sort of consistent continuity is much appreciated by this MCU nerd.
1: Yeah. I know this probably means nothing, but there's like this big map behind his desk. It's like almost like a a star map. It's like a circle. Mm. Uh, Probably maybe it could be a like map of the galaxy. But while I was watching this episode, I was like, what are they going to make a replica from this episode? (laughs) I don't think there's a thing like the
2: watch or the. But you've made me think of something else here, though, if that is a star map. Maybe the reason he's acting director is because he's never going to be the permanent director because Nick Fury is already out in that space mission we saw in Spider Man Far From Home, and maybe oh, Nick Fury is the director when he's only acting director while Nick Fury's off Earth.
1: Why wouldn't he tell her that?
2: I don't know. Maybe he will, and maybe or maybe <laughs> she doesn't. Maybe he's got ulterior motives, and that's why he doesn't want to say it. I don't know.
1: Okay, so Monica is sent on a mi- a missing persons case that is in New Jersey. The FBI has requested the use of one of their Imogen drones, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny to me because, like, the FBI doesn't have their own drones that they can use, but whatever. Um, And she's going to chaperone uh, the drone. So she goes there and she meets uh, James Wu, who is with the FBI. And we last saw in Ant-Man 2, he was the character that was kind of uh, keeping track of Scott Wang. And interestingly, I'm not. Did you notice the the, the introduction here, the card trick? Of oh, course. absolutely. Yeah, of course, yeah.
3: Peter. I, I immediately thought of you too, because I'm sure you had a, a good <laughs> chuckle at that.
1: Yeah, no, it was cool to see Wu present his uh, business card using like the same magic trick that Scott Lang yeah. kind of like taught him. So that was kind of fun.
2: Yeah, um, I and mean, he was having a tough time of it when he was first practicing uh, in his office in Ant Man and the Wasp. So I'm glad to see that he's mastered it. His uh, yeah. he's been working very diligently on his close up magic. Yes. Which <laughs> made me, uh... yeah, it's a strong clue that he wasn't blipped. He's had time oh, to well. figure it out.
1: I guess you're, you're that, that's probably right. That's probably the, because Ant Man 2 took place before. No, it yeah. took place after the snap, right? No. Uh, it or... takes place
2: like concurrently with it. And yeah. then we get with the, it, yeah. yeah. And then soon after the main story is gone, we get the mid credit scene and, yeah. yeah. Wu's gone or everybody else is gone, but Wu must've still been there and had plenty of time to practice.
1: You know, uh, after I watch this on uh, midnight when it hits on Thursday, uh, Friday morning for me, it's like four hours of research for this podcast, like trying to put everything together. And I do go like through like Twitter and see what people are talking about and stuff like that um, to see if like anybody noticed anything that I didn't. And one thing I noticed that not many people are talking about here in particular, is the missing person. Like, it seems like a thing that is just put out there of the reason it's the, like, the thing to get them there and it's, like, not a big thing. But to me, maybe that missing person is a big part of this mystery.
2: I think so, yeah. What do you think? Well, because I feel like if, if the missing person was just a reason to get... Jimmy Woo to New Jersey and discover what's happening in Westview and that of course ultimately gets Monica and sword involved then I feel like as they're going through this process of IDing people you ID that witness in this episode and Jimmy Woo says that's my guy Um, but they never mention it again he just says I've got a witness set up down the road in Westview and this morning it looked like he flew the coop and then it's, of course, going through they do also use that to illustrate the selective amnesia that some people have, like nobody who knew this person had ever heard of him and all of that. But I feel like you circle back to it and you you just close that loop if the witness isn't supposed to mean anything later on down the road. So at this point, I it's, I think it's more likely than not. and I'll probably end up being wrong, but I, I'm with you. I, I think this is actually going to turn out to be someone significant in this story.
1: Brad, any thoughts on this one?
2: Uh, no, I, I hadn't really thought about it, because if anything, I just thought it
3: was the gateway to them, you know, just just simply discovering Westview. But it would be interesting if that was a character that did come back to be an integral part of figuring out even more what happened. Or maybe even, you know, somebody who wanted to bring attention to the situation without being directly tied to it or something. Who knows?
1: What was the actor, that or actor, was the person that's playing Ralph on that big board um because i know agnes was not there yeah
2: uh agnes is on the board just not identified um yeah the uh which i think is obviously key for her character but we'll talk uh, about that in a bit we wouldn't know if ralph was on the board because we've not seen ralph um but there was no mystery person who was up on the board um who you know or like who's that person we haven't seen it yet and to even guess that that's ralph uh ralph so far is just like the sitcom trope of the deadbeat husband that a wife complains about. But I still feel like that could have ultimately end up being an actual character in here. Hmm.
1: Or maybe he's the uh, missing person. I don't know. Or the, could the, the, the witness. <laughs> could be. <laughs> um, yes. Okay, we'll get to that later. Okay. N- not only can he not find the missing person, but he can't find anyone who knew him. And the local law enforcement claims that the town of Westview doesn't even exist even though the sign is right behind them so can either of you explain to me what is going on here because there's a sign there there's a town are they not able to see it
3: yeah their mind their mind has been warped in such a way that anything tied to westview has is now as acknowledged as not existing it's all any memory or reference to it has been completely wiped from anybody who was previously aware of it, or at least, at least in that area. Right.
1: They yeah. do mention in East view though. Does I think, I, I
3: think that's just the, yeah, the, the substitute for like the, whatever knowledge was there, maybe about Westview, Now it's just East view.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think East view is a stand in for Westview. It's what replaces it for the people that it's been wiped from their minds. And, I think Monica is on the right track when she says, like, why don't why can we see it and know that it exists and these other people can't? And yet it's because they have no previous tie to it. Um, And you could say that whoever's generating this reality, which this episode offers an answer by the end of it. I can say that's part of the as part of how it's protected and that's part of how it's insulated from everything else is that the people who would come looking don't remember it. So they're not going to come look. Um, and they're not going to come look. And also it's not just the town. Remember what Jimmy Woo says about his witness, all of his known associates and relatives. They, they acted like they said they had never heard of him. So it's not just the town that's disappeared. It's the, the people within it have effectively disappeared from the world. Did, did he say it
1: in, in that, um, sex pronoun?
2: Uh, he did say he used he and him when describing the witness.
1: Hmm. So it I, I thought probably the same thing be Agnes, right?
2: Yeah. My first watch through, I actually thought on my first watch through, uh, watch through I thought, oh, it's going to be Dottie because he never see. he's not watching the TV when Dottie appears. He's calling on the radio. Um, but he does use he and him pronouns. Interesting.
1: Okay. Now I know that there's a lot of stuff dropped in the background here. Sometimes it's like an Easter egg, sometimes it's a, uh, some kind of clue to let us in on something. I did notice that the cop car is numbered cop car 1966, which sounds to me like a year. And I looked up that year. I looked up Marvel. I looked up any kind of character that could be possibly connected to this series. Uh And I couldn't find anything that was introduced in 1966, other than the organization aim, who I know we've talked about in the past because there's these, these people in these yellow suits, which yep. I think that thing kind of gets dismissed later in this episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, what, what do you think? What do you make of 1966? Is there anything there is, is a reference to anything?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, we see the number on the helicopter again is 57, which most likely is a, a reference to Avengers 57 where Vision debuted. Um, but I don't know anything as far as 1966 that would be specific to this story.
1: It just seems so specific, right? Like, yeah. why not
2: be 66
1: or, I don't know. Okay. Uh, Monica fly, uh, flies a sword drone into the town, down the street, and it disappears into the energy field. Um, Brad, was it you or was it Ben who predicted that this kind of thing, but we thought it was going to be a real helicopter?
3: Oh, I think, yeah, I think it was me that, I, yeah, I mentioned that maybe that the helicopter she found was going to be so, you know, like it's funny because I I had a grasp of essentially what the concept was, but just not that it that it was a a drone instead of a real helicopter.
1: Yeah, the only thing that got me when you proposed that theory I was like, what happens to the people inside? Do they become right. ants? <laughs> like it, but um, I like that I like the explanation here. Um, so Monica examines the energy field, and it's kind of like the pixel pixelization on an old television set, and she gets sucked in to the world as we know. Uh, the next scene introduces or reintroduces us to Kat Denning's character, Darcy Lewis from the Thor movie. She's now a doctor. Was she a doctor before? She was an assistant. No, right? She was an intern intern. Yeah. Um, what do we know about this character? Cause it's been, been a while since I've watched the Thor films.
2: So we know that she was a reluctant intern. She wasn't going to die for like 12 college credits or something like she. (laughs) uh, I I don't even think because I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly with Thor, like she didn't even try to she didn't even intentionally want to intern for Jane. Like it just kind of ended up working out that way. She had no interest initially in astrophysics. Um, She just ended up being an intern for an astrophysicist. Um, But clearly she gained some passion for it by working with jane and she's gone on to get her phd and everything uh in the time since we last saw her which good for her
1: and and she probably didn't get get uh flipped away right because that takes time to get a doctor
2: exactly yeah yeah. she's had plenty of time to take her education seriously and pursue it all the way to receiving her phd and i'm happy for darcy lewis and kat dennings i've been on that bandwagon (laughs) since day one not everybody loved her in the in the thor films i always thought she was hilarious um And I'll always be grateful to her for Mew Mew. Uh, So, yeah, I I think that she's an awesome character. And I love that now she's gone from she's still the comic relief that she was bringing in those Thor films. Uh, How space is still one of the best lines in the MCU, even if it's in Thor, the dark world. That line cracks me up. Um, But now that she's getting to actually drive plot forward and and make one of the key discoveries uh, that I think could potentially be a very, very big discovery. Uh, not just in terms of the uh, the motivation for setting up a TV. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the role that Darcy's playing in this series based on this episode.
1: Yeah, a lot of people did not like her. I, I've always liked Kat Dennings, and I always felt like she was like one of the better parts of the Thor films. Yeah. Um, and uh, I feel like this episode, for me, even even with that, I feel like it kind of redeems her character a bit more. I think it's going to redeem her character. The mm-hmm. series hopefully is going to redeem her character in general audiences. Brad, what do you think? What what are your thoughts on uh, Darcy?
3: Uh, no, I'm with Sean. I I actually always at Dennings uh, in the Thor movies. She you know she brought some comedic relief and was an enjoyable character. And I I like them bringing a character like this into these shows and giving her uh, a more significant role. You know, beyond just being. A bit more of a you know normal person uh you know among all of these you know big sort of superhero characters and uh you know government authorities and whatnot and so yeah it's it's a cool character to have especially since the vibe that sword has is you know in this series is very similar to whenever there's you know an alien encounter or something like that and trying to get devices to figure out what's going on and communicate with people and that kind of thing so it's 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 fun having her.
1: Okay, so they've set up a whole tent city, which has been set up on the perimeter of this energy field surrounding the town, which is also very exist.
2: reminiscent of Thor, where Kat Dennings debuted, because that's what oh, they, yeah. they had a similar thing set up around Mjolnir.
1: She's just living the same same yeah. day over and she's, over, again.
2: just all about that tent life. Although she wasn't in the shield tent, uh, they were stealing oh, yeah. all their stuff, um, you yeah. know, all the music that she just downloaded. <laughs>
1: Okay so Darcy noticed a bunch of cosmic microwave background radiation that's CMBR yep which contains a signal uh later in the episode they mentioned that this kind of radiation dates back to the big bang mhm now the only thing established in the MCU that dates back to the big bang are uh-huh. the infinity stones so um, it sounds like you have a theory here. I my my theory was going to be that Wanda's powers derive from an Infinity Stone. So right. like maybe that's why. Is, is that what you're thinking?
2: Totally. I think this is the Marvel science of how this is happening. Um, you know, like th- this is it's accomplishing a couple things. It's how are they able to tune into it? Well, that relic radiation, the CMBr, actually has it actually is something that popped up in old televisions. That was the static that you would get like in between channels and the background noise that you would get on an old TV back when antennas were more common uh, for TVs. So that's the way in for soAR to be able to view it. But how has this been generated and constructed in the first place? Um, yeah. That if you're talking about radiation, that dates back to the big bang. Cause the TV signal, isn't the only CMBR that's, a, that's a signal that she detected within all of this radiation. So when I think it's clear if we're talking about these as Wong says in infinity war, you know, at the big bang, it was, it sent six elemental crystals hurtling through the Virgin universe. One of those being the mind stone, which just so happens to be what gave Wanda her powers or perhaps unlocked Wanda's powers. Uh, and maybe she already had it to begin with, which I think this series will eventually answer for us, but yeah, this is how she's doing it. Her mind stone enhanced or generated powers, are what's creating this whole thing, which I think we would have guessed anyway if if Wanda was going to be the source of it. This is how it is, but I like that there is a more technical, pseudoscience-y explanation for it uh, that I think also points to other things happening when we're talking about other characters potentially getting powers because um, they. Yeah, do... let's talk about that later. Yeah. Okay, I'll... I'm on the I'm on <laughs> the, the save
1: it. wave wank you there. Yeah. I think. Uh, so she orders the old TV, and they realize that uh, on the TV with the signal, they see a TV show starring Wanda mm-hmm. and Vision. And one of the things I love about this episode is, like, the characters in this episode, the characters in Sword, are, like, just as confused as yes. all the Marvel fans watching the first yes. episode of the show. <laughs> uh, Darcy questions out loud uh, The Vision is not blipped. dead so they're they're like making that clear to audiences because i know Mm -hmm. when the show started i that was the question we got a lot asked a lot like wait what did he die or was he blipped no he died um twice yeah so i mean well yeah let's talk about that later because there's some interesting stuff later with Mm -hmm. that um the line of the episode for me is Jimmy Woo asking, so you're saying the universe created a sitcom starring two Avengers? Right. <laughs> I-, I love that. Um, also they confirm my suspicion that at the end of the credit scene for the first episode it was Darcy mm-hmm. watching the TV. Although it doesn't feel like they filmed that like congruently because like they try to cut it into the scene of like she's watching the end of the sitcom with what, Wu? and they're just like having fun with it. But then like the scene that we saw in episode one was like her writing in a journal and putting it down, which is how I guessed it because I saw a female hand and yeah, was like female hand it has to be Darcy.
2: Um, but there are a couple uh, of inconsistencies. Wanda's delivery of the word. No, from the end of episode two is also different in, uh, uh, in the broadcast. We see them watching versus what we witnessed, but I just chalk that up to this is what they chose for editing purposes. I don't know that it's really supposed to mean anything that we're seeing these differences. Hmm.
1: Uh, Okay, so they begin their investigation proper, and Jimmy Woo is writing questions on a whiteboard. Uh, Basically, he's writing all the questions that we've been asking on this podcast.
2: Yeah, they're doing what we've been doing for weeks. It's great.
1: (laughs) It's almost, it's so weird. It's like an inception of sorts of like watching the characters in the show analyze the show. Yeah, that we've been analyzing and it doesn't make
2: any more sense to them than it does to us. I love it. Yes. Uh And they, they put some
1: questions on there that I like I said earlier, that I actually thought like might be like things that I was reaching like like the hexagons. Like they said, why the hexagon hexagonal shape, which is something I was like, oh, maybe that's just like a stylistic choice for this television show and like. You know, based off, you know, the gem and vision's head, like, you know, maybe there's nothing more to that. Maybe that's like just a visual choice, but it seems like there is something there because they're putting these questions on a board Mm -hmm. for the general audiences that don't have this podcast to be like, here's the questions you should be concerning yourself with, right?
3: Well, I mean, That's what I, think. I, I think it's just because they're watching the exact same show that we did for the first three episodes, you know, and yeah, so right. they're, they're figuring out things just the same way that we are. And it's because they even have scrolls written on the board as a, as a thing of like, like, is, the, is there something here involving them too? You know, so there's, right. uh, yeah, they're obviously in, in our same position because they're seeing exactly what we, we saw for those first three episodes. Yeah.
2: And they also yeah, don't may- know. Yeah, they don't know what means something and what doesn't. You know, why a hexagon? Is that going to be important, or is it ultimately not going to matter what shape this perimeter is? Like, and this, we don't, we don't know. Yeah, We're we should craft- also mention that whatever like, you can find.
1: Yeah, wow. the perimeter's five miles, and they show this like they have this 3D computer table thing that looks cool because it looks like it's tech that was made for like Iron Man or Avengers or something, and it shows the perimeter being this energy field that's sh- in the shape of a hexagon. Um, what were you gonna say, Brad? Sorry. So this this um
3: this episode made me wonder um more a thought that I was think um had at the end of the third episode, which is how the difference in how time is passing between mm-hmm. the neighborhood and what's outside, because we finally get to see uh Monica physically thrown out of Westview, and it's daytime in Westview, but then when she when she flies out and it lands in the middle of the the tent city that Sora created, it's nighttime. -hmm. So, is there any downtime for Wanda and the sitcom world, as as opposed to what's happening outside, or is it all happening, you know, episode after episode, only over the span of what would essentially for us be, and for Sword, an hour and a half?
1: I think time and space is not working the same way inside that bubble that it is outside the bubble. But I will say, Brad, that this is a question. I'm like such a like nerd about those kind of things, and I'm like wondering. They're not like they're they're there for longer than a, you know, an hour and a half. Yeah. And, so, and,
3: then, well, and there's there's a there's that's that quick shot we see of um of Monica in the
2: show. But at a moment that we hadn't seen her yet in the show. Right. Yeah. The conversation between Agnes and Wanda, which looks like based on Wanda's pants, it's set during the 60s episode. But it's not a scene we saw during that episode. So other things are happening. Like, I guess the the show that we're seeing is a, a different edit than the one that sword is seeing for whatever reason. But um, I think time is passing in a similar fashion, but it's not quite the same. Like everything so far in this reality seems to be a day. Day one was Wednesday, August 23rd on the calendar anyway. And that was the day of the dinner party, uh, which also would have been the day that uh, Monica first went in there, even if she hadn't been fully cast. Cause Day one outside of that reality, it begins in the morning in Oakland with Jimmy Woo not being able to track down his witness. Going to I mean, a lot happened in that first day, because he says this yeah. morning he lost his witness, and by that same day he's in New Jersey and has already tipped off Sword and already received help and, and Monica drove from wherever Sword is to meet Jimmy Wu in New Jersey. But it's 24 hours later when Uh, when Darcy arrives. So that's basically day two uh, effectively. But we also don't know how long this reality was going on before Jimmy Wu noticed that his witness was missing. But in the sitcom realities, each thing seems to be a day. The only thing that throws me off on that is during the seventies episode when vision thinks that Wanda is going to have the babies on Friday. She says that's three days from now, Uh, which it wouldn't be because actually the seventies episode would be Friday. If each episode was a single day, and this is yeah. really a very long way of me saying i don't know how time is working inside that reality. Yeah. Uh it's very very weird. It doesn't seem to be exactly the same as what's going on outside of it. But i also like how they explain the noises. All those explosions and loud bangs in episode 2 was all these different drones that sword kept flying in there and just losing.
1: Oh, i didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's smart. Um i i guess for me i'm less concerned of like how time works inside mm. the what do we want to call it? Energy field, bubble, hexagon? I don't know.
2: You could just say inside Westview. I mean, I don't In Westview. Yeah, Westview. Yeah, we could call it
1: Westview. Um, I'm more concerned like how they're wa- how does the time that they're how are they viewing it outside of Westview is what I what I'm kind of concerned yeah. about. Like, so when that episode ends, what happens after that? Like, is it just off the air? Is there just like fuzz or like does it replay that episode? Because at one point, like they interact with the episode where it's yeah, I think even on the board, it says same time and space. So, yeah, they seem to think it's the same time and space.
2: Well, I think it's a question mark, though. It's their question. Same time and space. They don't know. I think that's one of the questions they're trying to figure out in the same way they're trying to identify why it's sitcoms, why there's a hexagonal shape for this perimeter around Westview. Um, but yeah. by the way, I,
1: I had this theory on a previous podcast. I'm not sure if you said the same theory on your podcast, Sean, but mm-hmm. I wanted to get your thought on this i i theorized that while we were waiting while they were waiting for that bomb to explode or something that they like sitcoms were on and it it was kept what kept her sane Um,
2: that's
1: why this is kind of that we're going to learn something
2: like that i i think the sitcom thing actually even happens before um you know as i don't know how they're still watching a tv uh (laughs) like after it totally imploded their apartment uh wherever they were at I do think, though, that this is the why sitcoms. I, I do believe um, that's definitely been uh, a theory that, that I've talked about. Like I, I think this is in the same way that television and even the MCU in its own way offers escapism for people, um, that that's kind of what it was for Wanda. Uh, Zemo says in Civil War that Sokovia was a failed state long before the Avengers or Ultron showed up. So it wasn't a great, safe place to live. And so for Wanda, for Wanda specifically, but probably also Pietro, like this was safety. It was reruns of classic American sitcoms that were being broadcast in Sokovia. This is what safe and normal and ideal life kind of feels like to Wanda. So this is what she's escaping into and creating and shaping this reality and obviously doing what she can to protect it. And so I I do think it's rooted in that. While I don't know if they watched sitcoms while they were waiting for a Stark missile to explode and thankfully never did, it wouldn't surprise me if we do get a moment where we see, uh, you know, Wanda and Pietro as kids, you know, at that moment where the, you know, the missile struck and maybe they are in the room with mom and dad who may or may not be the two actors who keep showing up in the commercials and that's when the first they're watching sitcoms when that first Stark missile hits. Um, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if that's the way it plays out in the show.
1: I do think that all these questions and things on this board are not just questions that they have, but are things that they want us to think about. The why sitcoms mm-hmm. is it the same time and space is vision alive. Um, there's could it be the Skrulls, you know, are the Skrulls involved? Um I think they want us to think that, like, are these people, you know, real people or are these scrolls? And then there's also a point where, like it's saying, we try to communicate with them through what? Like phone, digital,
2: mm-hmm. drone,
1: and eventually that'll lead up to later in this episode where Darcy figures out a way. But um, I do think that a lot of these things are things that they want us to, as an audience, to think about. It's kind of like putting them on our radar in case we're not...
2: Oh yeah. I
0: guess smart enough to to put it it on the radar. I
2: I mean, I I think everybody, they should know that everybody's wondering these things. These are the obvious questions uh, that relate to the show, but it is kind of that way, kind of like we're seeing with the way they're experiencing the show. They're experiencing it like we are. um, So it's like, yeah, us too, I I think is kind of the message of swords investigation in this.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay. So Darcy starts putting names to the cast of characters Mr. and Mrs. Hart are actually Todd and Sharon Davis. A lot of these names on this, actually, all these names really don't have any connections to Marvel characters or anything. I have noticed that Sharon Davis and John Collins, which are two of the names there, are art directors on WandaVision. So so yeah. there's you a know, fun tie in there. But did you notice anything that I didn't? Other than no. And,
2: and the names that we get when they play the credits at the end of the 70s episode, when it just cuts away from wanda confronting geraldine slash monica that's also people who work on the show um so yeah i i, I don't think there were actual marvel connections there I, I think the main point is that these are actual people um because we I, that was one of the questions that was being asked by uh, by all of us and being speculated about is who are all of these people exactly and what is the nature of them and it's like no they're just regular people who are somehow trapped in this
1: yeah we should notice that the note that they all have new jersey license cards yep. which ma- leads me to believe that that they're probably just people that live there yeah but uh two notable names missing from that list mm-hmm. include Dottie and agnes although there's also the mailman but... oh the mailman too yeah um and i'm sure there's some people at that magic show in the town but right They're a lesser character, so that doesn't really like non-speaking roles. Right. Um, But Dottie, I think you could explain that she hasn't appeared yet,
2: right? Yeah, she hasn't appeared at that point. Um, And Darcy even says uh, when they're setting up the radio contact, uh, Jimmy's not watching during that moment, which is part of what had me wondering if that was the witness before I went back and re-listened to the dialogue and heard the pronouns. Um, But. Unless Dottie uses male pronouns in reality, I don't know. But um, <laughs> as far as uh, that character, yeah, she just hadn't come up yet in the episodes at that point in the investigation. So that might be why she's not on the board. But I still think Dottie is going to be a big deal. Maybe not as big of a deal as Agnes, but certainly Agnes sticks out like the sore thumb because she's on the board and they can't identify her yet.
1: Yeah. And they finally realize that Monica is in the show. As you mentioned, they see the sword drone toy, which is in color. Darcy theorizes that it became a toy to render it useless. Mm-hmm. And I think Darcy's right.
2: <laughs> well, it's it's also confirmed with the tether for beekeeper guy turns into a, just a jump rope uh, with the part they're able to pull back after he goes through the barrier. Well, not not and not just the jump rope, but but his entire appearance goes from
3: being what is would normally be a biohazard suit to a beekeeper suit, including the bees that's around him.
2: Exactly, yeah. Which I do think is an AIM reference, um, you know, in a comic book way, because they're hazmat suits that they wear. They're often referred to as beekeepers, so I do think it's a little nod, but I don't think it's and I don't think it's meant to suggest to us that AIM is back in the MCU. AIM was tied was tied in pretty closely with aldrich killian and not so much their larger thing although maybe if we get modok in the in the mcu we'll we'll get a proper aim i don't know
1: yeah that was iron man three right yes yeah um so oh and also i was gonna mention that on my first viewing i saw the guy in the uh the hazmat suit go into the sewers while it was raining and then obviously when he comes out the sewers in the show mm-hmm. it's not raining but i think he come i think that's like a day later or it's some time later right it's not that it's still not raining at that point so because brad was saying before the the timelines how it is a little bit different like she got thrown out it was nighttime but yeah daytime in the world so yeah
2: i mean he goes in before they've even started watching the show um and so uh like yeah it, it it took him a while to to get there and that could be another thing of time working differently like you know, they didn't uh, Monica went in there long before he did, and it took a while for her to actually show up in the reality. So, you know, maybe when you cross through the barrier, you don't immediately pop up in Westview or even if you do, it takes a while for you to actually get involved in the action.
1: OK, so Darcy has this idea to mimic the frequency of the radio in the show to communicate with them on screen. Wu communicates with Wanda at the poolside community meeting. Um, which we kind of knew because we knew that was his voice. And mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the show, like this episode is confirming things that we suspected. Yeah. Uh, but there is, it is interesting because from them, their end it seems like it doesn't work. Are they seeing a different cut? Brad, what do you think? Do you, Are they seeing a different cut of this actual moment for broadcast? Is she like changing the broadcast? Mm-hmm.
3: It definitely seemed uh, we, there is evidence of that. Um, like very quickly after that, that something happens where there's a, there's some kind of cover up, and that we don't see everything that happens in Westview, and that that happens in front of Wanda. So there's clearly some, uh, you know, quote unquote, editing on the part of Wanda as to what's being put out there, which makes me wonder altogether why it's you know, like. Sh- this is something that's even being put out there in that form. You know what what purpose does it serve? Like, the, why would she give anybody an opportunity to stumble upon this and potentially try to stop her? Which which also feeds into the idea that maybe she's not the only one involved in this, the creation of this sitcom world. Because it would seem weird if she did something that would just give her up. You know. Um, but, but yeah, so, so whether it's Wanda that, that is messing with the actual signal or if it's somebody else, you know, it's that I think, I I don't know. I don't know. The,
1: the other thing I wanted to mention is that jump rope that like, I I feel like we've all played with the jump rope of that Mm -hmm. quality of like, what is it like fifties or sixties or seventies? Like, I know I had one or we had tons of those in like my gym as a kid. Um, and I think the interesting thing here is not that it turns into a jump rope, but when they reel the steel wire back, it it uh, the they they have the a piece of the jump rope in the the reality outside of
2: Westview,
1: which to me maybe signals that there's a way to pull things out of the energy field.
2: Well, and Monica, when she goes through it, she's wearing the same clothes yeah. that she was wearing inside of it, so. Mm. Yeah, whatever's inside, if it goes through the barrier, can remain intact. Don't know if that principle will apply to vision. Uh, that part will remain to be seen. But um, yeah, it, it definitely seems like um, oh, when you're going through the barrier, you change. But if you're coming out of it, you it whatever it is, the physical properties remain the same as as they were when they were inside Westview.
3: I just thought of something. What? What? What if what? If, the bubble that's surrounding Westview isn't just a force field that keeps it separate from the MCU, but what if it's the, the like the has become a gateway to an alternate reality, which is why vision is somehow back. And maybe that there like, there is a mind stone in that alternate reality that she's used to bring vision back, but only here in the middle of this, you know, neighborhood in the middle of nowhere that maybe it, that, that is like one of the alternate earths that exists that she, that she's living in.
2: Definitely possible. I'm just not even sure if Wanda needs a mind stone at this point. Like I feel in some ways her, in some ways her powers almost superseded the mind stone. Like she used the mind stone against vision to push him through the floor and like through the ground all the way to the center of the earth, just about at Avengers Compound in Captain America Civil War. um. <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it either either way it's Mind Stone stuff and the idea of it tapping into an alternate reality I think is still something that that has to be on the table here.
0: But I, I, I like the
2: you question you-, you posed though, Brad, of like if she's letting people see this television show but she's censoring part of it, like why let anybody see the show at all? Like I get why she would want to censor it because she doesn't want anybody to want to go in because they see people being harmed and people being endangered. But if she's, you know, but she could avoid that entire thing by not broadcasting her show.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe she doesn't just want to live in a television show. Maybe she wants to be a television star. No, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, One other thing about this is like, who is controlling what things become when they enter this energy field? To me, I don't feel like – it doesn't seem like Wanda is aware when something comes through the field. Right. she didn't know Geraldine was in there, and she didn't know the plane until she found it. So, to me, it almost seems like it's, it's a spell, or um, what a witch would do is they would maybe put in a hex – On something Mm -hmm. and a hex is a hexagon am i reading too much into things
2: i I mean whether or not it has to do with the hexagon i don't know but it doesn't (laughs) but it it tracks something is going on here i don't know that it's i mean you could say that this reality it's a thing where whoever set it up be it wanda be it agnes be it somebody else that it's just an automatic thing that as something comes through, it will be modified so that it does not break the reality that they are in. And that may be all that. I don't know that somebody is making an active choice. Like when agent Franklin goes in, is somebody like hitting a button to be like, who's this guy going to be? Got it. Beekeeper. Or is it just a thing that automatically happens? Yeah, Um, I think
3: it has to be automatic. And one thing that I I wonder about is if the, whether it is this just, wanda's powers and if it's wanda's powers are these powers that came from the mind stone or are these powers that maybe somehow came from the reality stone which is red like wanda's powers and has the ability to manipulate reality and we've seen how that works when you know thanos tricked all the guardians of the galaxy into thinking that they were coming into uh nowhere looking completely different when it had already been destroyed by him and he made it look like it was everything was fine and abandoned
1: but hasn't that stone been destroyed or actually
3: well but it well the stone could be gone but if if her powers potentially came from the reality stone then she w- would still have the abilities uh, you know that that stone might have provided
2: her yeah we just haven't had a connection between her and the reality stone in the timeline though like we've right had... no
3: yeah for sure we we haven't seen it you know and so obviously you know the the stone that was in Loki's scepter is the one obviously that yeah. w-
2: would be there and ultimately the reason why the powers may be red instead of any power associated with the mind stone, which we've seen blue when it was inside the scepter. And then we see yellow energy is certainly one of the prevailing theories that's out there is that the mind stone did not give Wanda her powers. The the mind stone merely unlocked the powers and that, that unlock the mutant gene or some other MCU explanation for how she has her powers, because we know they experimented on a lot of people with Loki scepter and they all died except for Wanda and Pietro, which points to there was already something special within them that allowed them to survive and and gain powers. So I take the red as being kind of a Wanda thing, not necessarily a reality stone thing, but yeah, that is definitely the color of that stone. And it does have some similar visual components to it besides the color.
1: Okay. Let's get back to the episode. Darcy asks out loud, why are they switching decades? It can't just be for my enjoyment. Can it now? Mm -hmm. Up until this moment, the switching decades thing, I thought was just like, it just made sense. Like, you know, the next day is this decade. The next day after that is this decade. And there's they're never going to explain it. And it's just like a, a fun TV thing to do with the show. Mm-hmm. But when you have a character on the show ask the question out loud and, and you don't get an answer. That feels to me
2: like there's some kind of this is a question we should be asking. It definitely is because Wanda doesn't appear to be making a conscious choice when we transition from black and white to color at the end of episode two. Like she's as she's surprised by it when she sees vision has changed from his head anyway, has changed from black and white to color. And then as color washes over the reality, I mean, we know from other pieces and clips and trailers and stuff that she does have the ability to manipulate things when she wants to. But things are also happening when she's not deliberately choosing it. So that's either her subconscious is powering things and she's not fully in control or she's not the only one who has the ability to drive this reality.
1: Hmm. I think that's probably Brad, do you have any theories? But I think that I think you've hit on probably the answer that it's not in her control.
3: Yeah, no, I mean because we talked about that before about how it seems like things are happening that she's not aware of that she's not controlling, you know, because obviously the neighbors are sometimes talking and there's, you know, there's times when the people who are being controlled by her are trying to, you know, seemingly snap out of whatever trance they're in, why they're being forced to act this way. So uh, and aside from that, there are obviously things that are happening that aren't fully in, in her control. So I th- yeah, mm-hmm. I think that there's definitely some other influencing power. And as we've talked about before, it, all signs point to Agnes probably being involved in that somehow.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Wu and Darcy are basically us watching this show and when Geraldine says Ultron, they're all like as shocked as we were mm-hmm. in that moment. Uh The end of the 70s episode is basically cut out. And uh Darcy concludes that someone is censoring the broadcast. Um, then we get to see what actually happened mm-hmm. after that mention. We see Wanda's angry. She says Geraldine is not her friend. She is a stranger and an outsider who is trespassing here. She wants her to leave and send her flying through not only her wall and the fences that surround her house, but many yards through the energy field. Wanda then fixes the damage with her magical powers. Uh before we get to vision, because there's some a lot of a bunch of stuff to talk about here. What, what do we think about this? Any thoughts, Brad? I mean, in 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 what way? <laughs> I mean, is this what you imagined happened?
3: Oh yeah, for sure. And that, and that's mostly just because I you know I remembered exactly what happened in in the trailers, and so they mm-hmm. they you know they actually showed a shot of her flying out of the neighborhood. And I think wow. we talked about on the last episode because um when we saw her flying out, I, I mentioned that we hadn't seen the shot of her being thrown from the neighborhood during the day. And I thought maybe she might go back in and get thrown out for a second time. But this is where that shot comes from, obviously.
1: Yeah. Okay, so Wanda is admiring the babies when Vision walks in the front door and asks, where where's Geraldine? This is the moment we saw before. But when Wanda looks at Vision, he looks like he died. He looks like um, the moment in Infinity War when the... Infinity Stone was ripped from his forehead and his face turned gray. He looks like that. And it's like so very shocking because we've seen this moment before and it's not something we expect. You know, it's it's very unexpected. Very it's very morbid. Mm -hmm. Um, In previous episodes of this podcast, I've asked if Vision is maybe like recovered data because they put some uh, data in in the computer in Wakanda yep and if Wanda was maybe sometime uh, somehow interacting with him in some kind of uh emulation or what something like that, or if Wanda was using a surrogate person to be vision like turning someone and imagining their vision kind of like how kind of like how Wonder Woman did that in Wonder Woman nineteen
2: eighty four not quite yeah.
1: But, you know, I was imagining... I don't know. That really bothers me about that movie. Okay. Uh, is... But now... Now, now it seems like it's me, even creepier. <laughs> yeah. Is she interacting with her, her corpse? Is she, like, magically making her corpse... Uh, the corpse of Vision come alive and have sex with her?
3: <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure if if, if that's necessarily the case. They go I go
1: under the seats at one point.
3: They do, but but it's also it's sitcom, you know, so not you never know. Yeah. No, but, but it's is vision you know, even walking and talking in
2: these scenes for real. Yeah, like, that's that
3: know. like that's what I, I don't I don't know if she's using like his his body and making it move, which would make it infinitely creepier, or if that's just a flash that she has in her mind where she she where it it's just a, a memory you know um from trauma of seeing him in that in that way and ju- and because it's sho- showing that she's slowly kind of losing control of wh- of what she's seeing and what's happening
2: yeah well and he's not purely a puppet right because he's asking questions and being skeptical in ways that she doesn't want to be and so th- that's the part that i think is interesting with vision is that he still clearly has some agency in this it's not like she is completely in control of him all the time and she even has this little conversation with him and yeah, the visual of dead vision from infinity war was startling but it's also what it's also how wanda responds to it like she looks away and this whole thing has been masking trauma burying it under and she doesn't actually look back up until he's back to being the vision that she wants and expects to see Uh, but then the little conversation that they have where vision knows the deal here whatever this is this version of vision is knows what's going on we don't have to stay here we could go wherever we want and then she says no we can't this is our home and he asks are you sure and then oh don't worry darling i have everything under control Like that exchange and maybe she's saying, no, we can't go wherever we want because if we leave Westview, you're not alive. You're only alive inside here. But Vision still seems to be capable of having a lot of his own thoughts and making his own choices in here. So he's not entirely a puppet. I don't know how exactly this is working. Um, You know, one of the theories is it looked like Shuri did save her work at the end. Like when she saw Corvus Glaive in Infinity War, she turns back around and hits a couple buttons on the screen. So did she save? you know, did a last save file? And Wanda Sean, I saved out.
1: my work and I'm not sm- as smart as Shuri. So, I mean, she definitely did.
2: Yeah, she totally <laughs> did. Um, but then also like the part of vision that's missing. And this is the part where maybe Wanda does have influence is the Mind Stone. They establish in Infinity War, though, that he's not entirely the Mind Stone. He's Tony. He's Banner. He's Ultron. He's Jarvis. He's all of these things, including the Mind Stone. And if Wanda is able to synthesize effects of the Mind Stone, in order to create this reality, she's also capable of synthesizing the effects of the Mind Stone to power Vision. So that allows him to have a big part of himself, who he always was, but also this part that she's able to control and manipulate. But it's, a, it is, it's not her being in full control of it, her only controlling that one part of him.
1: Uh, last episode, Herb uh, tried to tell Vision, we're all, mm-hmm. and then Agnes stopped him. And we were all kind of wondering what was he going to say? Did, was he going to say trapped, or was he going to say dead? I know dead's more morbid, and I'm not sure how you follow up with that in a Disney Marvel show. But, um, but also, one of the previous episodes, I mentioned that Westview doesn't sound to me like the name of a town, but it actually sounds to me like the name of a psychiatric hospital. And of course, that line of thinking that that line of thinking. We're not going in that, that that direction. I think that's been proven that she's not being, she's not, you know, right controlled by like what I was thinking is not happening. But I was wondering, maybe, maybe Westview is is, <laughs> maybe Westview could be a morgue or a cemetery where Vision was, and she went to visit it. And somehow ended up turning it into this town, and it's a town filled with dead people?
3: I don't think so, just because, I mean, the, the whole setup for this episode is that they've stumbled upon this town that no one is, you know, aware of or remembers, but there are obviously people who were living in it, and so... I would think that they would probably notice a trend of like, oh, here are all these people who are in this town, but they all died years ago. You know, Mm -hmm. they obviously have their driver's licenses and they were able to figure out who, who they are. So I'm sure that they were, Wanda has just taken over a a neighborhood that was very much, you know, a normal neighborhood before she came into it. Yeah. Why
2: this town? Not
1: all my theories are going to be good theories, guys. Sometimes sometimes they have to be the crackpot
2: one. It's still an interesting question of why this town. I mean, it certainly helps that it's very small. So that is maybe part of the appeal is it needed to be big enough to have like that sitcom feel of like the town folk and all that like makes sense. But it can't be so big that it's going to lead to a lot of questions. Eventually, it leads to questions anyway, because it's still enough people that you're going to wonder about all these people who went missing. But I don't think they're all dead anymore. I certainly had that thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was like, oh, are they all dead Sokovians? And this is purgatory that uh, Wanda has tapped into. Um, that theory seems to be shot. They're they're all alive. You know, the only one who maybe is not alive is uh is Vision. But then it, it does lead the question of why Westview, and besides the the size of the town, we don't know that Wanda's the one who chose it. And even if she did, we don't know that it was originally her idea. Maybe it's something that she was pointed, you know, maybe somebody else pointed her in that direction. And hell, that somebody else might be Agnes, for all we know. Well,
1: she does tell Vision that they can't go elsewhere. So right. why can't they move? Why can't she move this artificial reality somewhere else? Like it seems like that would be pretty easy.
3: Maybe she created it
1: here; Um, she could create it anywhere. Well, we don't. But
3: we also don't know how difficult it was to do this, or and how 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 taxing it is on her if she were to try to do it again, especially if she had to get somebody's help to maybe do it.
1: And also in the scene, Wanda, I think, uh, pretty much confirms that she's in control of this world. And if she doesn't confirm, then you know, obviously, the next scene where Monica wakes up. Haven't been thrown out of the energy field, and she basically says to the audience and to you know the sword and everything, it's all Wanda. Um, then we get a glimpse back inside Westview. <laughs> Wanda says to Vision, "Uh, what should we watch tonight?" And then there's look this look in Vision's face, yep. which I couldn't quite like understand what it what he, it was a weird look. So I do this thing where um, maybe you'd call it cheating, where you turn on the there is an audio track that's called the audio description track. It's for I think people that are that can't see well or mm. are blind, and it not only has the audio of the show, but it also describes what is happening on the show. And uh, we've used that in the past in the Mandalorian episodes, where it, like has kind of given us clarity on stuff. Stuff here it says that Vision has an uneasy look. So if you're looking for the intention, if you're looking at what it probably said in the script, it was uneasy luck. look. Yeah. Uh, I think
2: it's him not buying that Wanda has everything under control. Yeah.
1: Okay. So the music starts playing. It's Jimi Hendrix voodoo child, mm-hmm. which I think is not only cool because this is an awesome, like what sixties or seventies kick-ass song, but uh, these two, basically just gave birth to twins the result of voodoo magic right is there anything else we should be looking into this so well interestingly enough the
3: so there's the longer version of the song is is voodoo child and then the the like the basically what you would call the radio edit is voodoo child in parentheses slight return which kind of seems like an interesting nod to also vision coming back but maybe only slightly um (laughs) But but yeah, using this song is uh, you know not only cool just because, you know, reminiscent of of the time, but just yeah the the implications of that title for sure.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. The lyrics that play over the credits is the portion of the song where it says, if I don't meet you no more in this world, then I'll meet you in the next. I'll meet you on the next one and don't be late. Don't be late. So you could say that's a little bit of Wanda and Vision and their relationship right now. It's not very direct, but I think it's the energy of the song. Yes, the witchcraft that seemed to be involved in the creation of um of the twins. And that's also another thing. Like Wanda didn't go into the sitcom reality wanting to have children. That was an idea that was planted in her head by Agnes and and they it all involved a for the children talent show ritual that needed the whole town and, and Dottie to give them an award afterwards. So there's still other witchcrafty stuff here. And that's why when Monica says It's two lines. It's it's Wanda followed by it's all Wanda. I believe the first line, not the second one. I believe it's Wanda. I don't believe it's literally all Wanda. I think that explanation or if it is, I'd probably be disappointed by that explanation because it's too obvious from the comic books with House of M, but it's also too early to give us such an oversimplified explanation and stick with it. This is episode four out of nine so I'm not totally believing it. There's clearly other forces in play uh that are influencing Wanda, even if she thinks she has everything under control.
1: Okay, so they sit down in front of the TV and Vision uses the remote to turn it on. And interestingly, right now, the screen goes from widescreen to four by three for the first time in this episode. And I I'll admit I didn't even notice that the like the the points of the show were showing us like the seventies. Uh, Sitcom world weren't in the proper four by three aspect ratio, Mm -hmm. Um,
3: and and that's I think that's because much in the same way it happened in the previous episode when it widened is the aspect ratio changes when we break the sitcom reality whether it's by going into the real world of the Marvel Cinematic Universe outside of the sitcom bubble or by seeing what is actually happening that's not being aired on the TV, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I also think this might indicate that. Next, you know, next time when you know we have the next episode, which I'm speculating is going to be ne- ne- you know, now back to our regularly scheduled programming, mm-hmm. we're going to be yeah. back to the sitcom format.
3: Yes, yeah, I think that's a that's a very safe bet.
1: Okay, that leads us into our speculation segment. Uh, what? Do, so you you guys both agree that next week. We're going to get the 90, 1980s sitcom. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, but, but what I'm curious about now is now that we've flashed outside to what is happening with sword in the real world, if we'll get more cross cutting than changing back and forth, you know, uh, because now that we know sword is watching, will we, will we get like analysis going back and forth, you know, in quote unquote real time as they're watching the show? Or will it be a thing where we'll have another batch of episodes where we're just watching the same way that they are. And then we'll have a whole other episode with back with sword again.
1: Hmm. I do think that they are introducing this whole aspect ratio thing so that they can eventually get to the point that they're intercutting and we can easily tell what world we're, I mean, I guess you could tell anyways from the production design, but it is also a indicator of the, the aspect ratio as well. Yeah. Uh, What do you think, Sean? Do you think next episode, do you think we'll see an intercut or do you think it'll be a purely 1980s sitcom?
2: I don't think it will be purely 1980s. I I don't think you can peel back the curtain and show us the other side and then make us forget about it for a week. I could be wrong. It may only take a week for me to turn out to be wrong about that. But (laughs) I feel like at this point, we need to keep track of all the different things that are happening or at least the main plot lines that we have going here and so i I do think that i don't know how they'll do it like it may not necessarily be cutting back and forth they could just open with sword and then go into the sitcom reality or start the sitcom reality and then end with sword or they could have sword bookending a sitcom episode because the i do think the runtimes will evolve i mean we've consistently had a half hour but maybe now we push to like 35 or 40 minutes where we still get a full length sitcom episode, but it is bookended or it is intercut with some of the things going on with sword. But I don't, I don't think we're just going to completely abandon sword and go back to uh, just be purely in sitcom world the entire time for next week's episode. I'd be surprised if that's the result. And I think that we'll, if anything what will happen is we'll probably just start
3: seeing more interruptions as Wanda loses yeah. control or as sword starts to infiltrate right. more because like there's even um i know one of the things that's coming up that was in like i don't know if it was a trailer or a tv spot but in the 80s sitcom world there's a part where agnes like seemingly kind of breaks character and she's like she's like oh, she's like, oh okay like, maybe we just take
2: it from the top and like wanda yep. looks around confusedly like wait what's going on and that's a big moment because in that, I think that's next week, because I think that's 80s. Um, Agnes is wearing her spandex yeah. when that happens. And Agnes does a similar trick that Wanda did in episode two with the rewind. Like, oh, let's just take it back. And so far, that's only a thing that we've seen Wanda do. We don't know who did that jump cut during the 70s episode, but it was probably, maybe it was Wanda again, another rewind. But um when Vision was like saying, I think something's wrong here. But it shows that Agnes has the, has the ability to manipulate this reality in ways that are very similar to what wanda has the ability to do which again flies in the face of that idea that monica communicates at the end which is it's all wanda that's still very honest from monica's perspective and her experience because she's only experienced the control of wanda in this environment but you know it seems like there's at least one other player here and that other players agnes and we will i think that part will be revealed next week
1: uh so who do we think Agnes is? Because, I mean, do we think she's Agatha Harkness?
2: I think so.
3: Yeah, it makes the most sense. I, I'm sure, obviously, it won't be, as with many Marvel things taken from the comics, it will not be, you're, they're not able to do a direct lift or adaptation of who Agatha is and what she does in the comics, but that she will definitely be represented by this character. As for what she's doing and why, I think that's that'll be a, a big reveal for sure.
1: Hmm. Do we think Mephisto plays into this at all? I know we've talked about this in the past uh, couple episodes with Jacob, but Sean, I wanted to hear what you thought of that theory.
2: It's tough. I mean, the evidence is there with, you know, when Agnes even kind of acknowledges that when Dottie says the devil's in the details, Bev, and then Agnes says that's not the only place he is. So, and Agnes does appear to be genuinely terrified of something. When Herb is about to reveal to Vision the truth of this world, what is Agnes so scared of is that, is she scared of what Wanda's powers would be if Wanda is the one responsible for this and and what that would unleash if uh, people break this reality for Wanda? Maybe it's that. Maybe it's Mephisto. Maybe it's the high evolutionary who also has ties to Wanda and her origins and everything in the comic books. So it could those theories are still out there. It feels a little less likely because of how much focus they're narrowing our focus on Wanda right now. Yeah. Um, I also feel like with Agnes, it may be a combined thing where she's Agatha Harkness. But in the MCU version, she's also Mephisto where she's also the high evolutionary and is maybe playing the role that those characters have played. Because you could say that's Agnes playing Herb in that moment. Like Agnes is <laughs> pretending that she's a victim, just like all of them are. But she's the one controlling this whole thing or she's the one who's controlling it just as much as Wanda is if not well, maybe she kind of controls her
1: in that moment though. Doesn't she yeah. like
2: she kind of like controls him not to say anything. But she plays it like she's scared, like she's begging him like as opposed to commanding him. She's not using this forceful look toward him to saying like you better not say it or I'm going to get you. It's more like yeah. please don't say this. Um but again that could be a con. That that whole thing of like she doesn't want She's not telling the truth to Vision or Wanda, but she's also not telling the truth to Herb or Jones or Dottie or any of them. Although I still think Dottie is also a witch. Cause why is Agnes? I mean, you can say that was also a misdirect and this is why these theories go on forever is they all have different avenues you can go down, but <laughs> that could be a misdirect too. Like Dottie is the key to everything. And I tell you that, so that you don't look at me, but it Dottie did give the blessing before, you know, the pregnancy happened. So, you know, Dottie is still worth keeping an eye on and, and, Obviously, everybody's watching Agnes very closely.
1: I'm also confused. Like, I like this theory that they were trying to have them have children. But if I recall, don't they have sex? Like, don't they go underneath the covers
2: at the beginning of the second episode? They do. Before
1: all this for the children stuff comes
2: about? They do. But it feels like, first off, it's anatomically impossible for a synthesoid to impregnate a human woman. So that's not happening. Okay, so you don't think it happened in
1: that instant. Okay.
2: No, no, I, it's not a natural pregnancy. Like, yes, they do have to they do need to have sex because Agnes is obviously Agnes is driving that in episode 1. What about seduction techniques? So, that is part of the process, but to make sure that that sex results in a pregnancy, everything else is for the children. Well, I think it's for Tommy and Billy. And the pregnancy doesn't happen until they are successful at the fundraiser. And Agnes is monitoring when you watch an episode two, she's looking closely at the crowd and she's actually even relieved when the crowd kind of buys the, you know, all the bullshit that illusion and glamor are selling that they're not really powered, that this is all cheap magic. Agnes is very kind of happy by that result. And Dottie does ultimately give them, the key to everything, which may be bullshit, maybe real, um, (laughs) like, and sorry, we're not using PG 13 language on your podcast. I don't know. Um, but you can use a language blurb if you want to and and Steve Rogers me. But, um, I think with this stuff with, you know, the blessing, like the timing to me feels intentional and I don't, they didn't just have a pregnancy when they woke up that morning. It's after everything that was supposedly for the children happened and was successful.
1: So the bottom line is we're kind of all on board the train thinking that this is all a, like the end goal is to have them have children that someone can steal and use to their own purposes.
2: I mean, that was sort of the comic book with Mephisto. And so, I mean, it's complicated because the children were real and then they weren't and then they were again. It's weird. But um the you could say Is Agnes the one who wants the children because she effectively is Mephisto in this story? Or does she want the children because she knows that somebody worse actually wants the children and Agnes is just trying to get them first in order to help protect them because she knows the children are going to be here either way? Those questions are still, I, I think those questions are still out there and not totally resolved by the information we got in this episode.
1: Brad, do you have any other speculation for upcoming episodes?
2: Um,
3: not not necessarily speculation as far as like what uh, what I guess will happen, but that we did see some interesting new things today in the episode promo. Um, or rather, it feels like a season promo for what's coming up on Wandavision after today's episode. Oh, Mar- wait
1: a second. Oh, okay. Um, before you say that, I have not seen this, but I, I'm not. I don't care about being spoiled. Um, But before you said that, there was one other thing I want to get to in case people don't want to know about that. Okay. Uh, One last thing. Um, We didn't get to talk about Sean was kind of insinuating that Monica got her powers when she gets thrown
2: out of Westview. Might have. Might have. Um, What what do you think? Well, some of that is also partially informed by a clip of what's coming, uh, you know. Uh, ahead in the season but but look okay let's just get it let's
1: just get into that
2: though okay yeah so So if anybody
1: doesn't want to hear us talk about the the clip of upcoming episodes uh tune out now thank you for listening
2: okay go so it looks like wanda is you know undergoing kind of a medical checkup like i don't know if it's an mri or whatever it is now you could say that's just for her head because it seems like um obviously when she was there, she didn't have a full sense of who she was. And so maybe they're just checking her to make sure like her brain's okay. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is how Monica gets powers because she's gone through this thing. And we know the mind stone has the ability to give or unlock powers. Infinity stones in general have an ability to grant or unlock powers. The mind Stone's not the, the only one captain Marvel has her powers via the space stone with the light speed engine. So that could certainly be something. And also, I mean, it, it is radiation, and radiation has famously given Marvel characters and other comic book characters powers forever. So there is that part of it. Um, there's also something that when they talk about the radiation getting larger, and I have to credit uh, somebody who's part of my you know, Patreon community and one of my listeners, Alex, uh, who brought this up when we were having a conversation about it the other day, Somebody else lives in New Jersey, and her name is Kamala Khan, and she's an inhuman in the comics, and that's how they explain her getting her powers. But if you're going to have some big, growing radio radioactive event, then yeah, this could be Monica Rambo getting her powers. But this could be taking the place of the Terrigen cloud that gave Kamala Khan her powers, which there's no basis for in the MCU at this point, or not the MCU proper because they never did inhumans from Agents of Shield. This could be something that reaches across further across the state and unlocks powers for Kamala Khan and there's our connection for Monica Rambeau and Kamala Khan joining Carol Danvers in Captain Marvel 2. Hmm. I mean I know I'm blowing up the balloon too big and that's probably not what it is but these are <laughs> these are the things I spend my time thinking about.
1: Hey, I like these theories. Uh Brad, what did you want to talk about uh in that upcoming preview uh yeah i was was so busy preparing this episode i didn't actually get to watch yeah
3: go ahead well so um earlier this week there was a a a tease that was meant to be for um episode four but the footage in it wasn't just footage from episode four and one of the shots that we specifically wrote about because it was so surprising and we hadn't seen anything before was uh from inside some kind of vehicle that looked like it was going through the mm-hmm. the, the, the colorful force field that is a, uh, surrounding Westview. And so we didn't know exactly what was, what was happening there. But the, uh, thanks to the new sneak peek that was posted today, we know that it's a SWORD vehicle and it's ramming into the force field. It, it's not clear who's driving it or anything like that, but clearly at some point somebody is going to get inside that vehicle and try and ram through to get into Westview in that vehicle. And then on top of that, um, also dealing with the, the, the edge of the force field, there's a shot of uh, Vision, not enclosed or anything, in his normal Avenger form, uh, walking to the edge of the force field. And then there's a shot of him on the other side in the real world, but he is like in the midst of collapsing to his knees and seemingly screaming in pain. So interesting things coming up on Vision. <laughs>
1: hmm. How can vision exist outside of Westview? I guess that really comes down to the question of like, what is vision right now? What are we looking at? What is this creature? And I'm not sure any of us have the answer to that one.
2: No, I mean, the comics point us in a direction where there was a, a point at which vision kind of lost who he was. And so he was dead and he came back and that's when you had like white vision, And so um, there's already kind of a little setup there with gray dead Vision in the MCU from Infinity War and that we got a a peek of again in this episode. So there is a world in which Vision could be alive. As I said, I mean, whether this is what's happening now or it happens later on down the line, Wanda perhaps using her Mind Stone abilities to synthesize the effect of the Mind Stone as much as Vision needs to be alive. But if it's not fully the Mind Stone, Will he be back to being his full and complete true self? And in the comics, he wasn't when he came back, at least not for a while. And then eventually they figured it out. So Vision can have a future outside of Westview. There is a comic book basis for it. But the MCU version may be that, yeah, he he may try to leave and and be completely unable to and, and unable to survive outside of that hexagon.
1: You know, as much as I like him as Vision and I want to see more of Vision, I really am against them doing this thing where they keep on bringing people back from the dead. I know that's a comic staple, but I feel like that's when I read comics that always bothers me because there's no stakes in anything because someone can die and they can be brought back in any ridiculous way. And if, if they aren't gone forever, then what's the point?
2: And also if, if he
1: can exist outside of this Westview, then why does he have to live in Westview with her? Why can't they just live in the real world?
3: Well, to, don't forget when he walk as soon as he walks out of that bubble, he seems to be collapsing as if he probably can't survive outside of it yeah so I would imagine that that' we'll, we'll get an answer as that he probably you know can't, will not be able to live if he walks away from whatever is happening inside this bubble yeah
2: I don't know if vision will make it out of Westview. I, I do think the children will survive. I don't think they only live inside of Westview otherwise, why would anybody want them? if they, if their power and ex- mere existence is limited to <laughs> this area. Somebody else other than Wanda wants those kids, Agnes and, and maybe somebody else as well. So I think the kids will ultimately, and of course, Marvel Comics, Tommy is Speed, Billy is Wiccan. They're young Avengers. Marvel seems to be going in a young Avengers or champions sort of direction with all the young heroes they're introducing. So they feel like they're, it feels like those characters are going to make it out of here. Wanda will as well. We know she's going to go in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. But yeah, Vision is still a question mark. I'm okay with Vision coming back if he is altered because there are stakes to it, because like even if he was resurrected, he's not fully resurrected and not fully himself. But I do take that point of, you know, you can't bring back everybody all the time.
3: Yeah. And I feel like if I I think I I agree with what Sean said, I I feel like Vision can't make it out of this uh, alive because as we talked about before, I think Jacob was the one who theorized this, is that it would be, you know, a big deal if, you know, Wanda lost Vision again, thinking that she was able to have this, you know, happy ending with him. And that might send her into a spiral where she truly loses control and makes her the villain of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness.
1: Yeah, I think that's where we're headed. Um, but, guys, we've we've been recording for almost two hours now. So four times the length of the episode that we were reviewing. (laughs) This has been the longest episode of uh, any of our uh, uh, spoiler reaction. I'll take
2: partial credit for that.
1: (laughs) Congrats, Sean. Congrats. No, this is a good episode. Uh, Where can people find more of your work online? Sean,
2: Uh, you can find me MCU fan show. It's the easiest spot to see what I'm up to. It's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, which I don't use as much because not everybody uses, uses it as much, but, uh, or if you just search for it, wherever you find your podcast, if you search MCU fan show, you will find me talking about this show and many other things. Marvel.
1: Yeah. And we're going to try to get you on for some future episodes. So yes, please do. I look forward to that. Uh, you can find more of, uh, mean Brad at slashwoman.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, theories, I know we didn't read a lot of them this episode because it seemed like a lot of them were just like kind of answered (laughs) this episode. But we love hearing from from you. And if you do write us, please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. And please head on over to our iTunes page. Write us like a sentence or two telling us why you like this show. And uh, tell your friends, spread the word. And we'll see you on Monday.